Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And it's Wellness Wednesday, and I love to have so many different medical professionals, healthcare workers, doctors on the show, because there are a lot of us out there doing this work and many different uh, disciplines as well. Let me welcome to the show for the first time. She is a specialist in infectious disease. She is an infectious disease physician. Uh, she's an assistant professor in infectious disease, diseases, associate program director, internal medicine residency, associate medical director, uh, antimicrobial stewardship program, co-director of the digital innovation and social media strategy. Uh, she's at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Let me welcome to the show Dr. Jasmine Marcellin. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I, I'm happy to have you. Um, you know, we're still in a pandemic, I think, uh, even though we don't need masks anymore, apparently. And <sighs> none of it makes any sense. So, you know, Tanya was talking about traveling because she's been traveling the globe. And yeah. for her, the common sense was wear this NK95 mask, no virus in or out. I'm good. Yeah. And this has served her. She has not caught COVID. She's been literally she's in Africa right now. She's good. What what did we miss, you know, two years in now with this particular virus? And is this part of infectious disease that you've studied? Is this part of your your bailiwick? Your... Yeah, so COVID-19 is definitely within my wheelhouse. Um, it's, you know, being a respiratory virus, we've studied uh, coronaviruses for decades, right? And so uh, when the uh, pandemic first started and we started to see what the impact was on people in this country and around the world. It was very clear, this is a respiratory disease. We need to be using masks. We need to be using the same sort of mitigation um, um, policies that we, we would expect to work for other respiratory diseases like avoiding large crowds and you know, watching your distance and um, you know, masks are an important part of that. We saw that in influenza in 1918, masks were a huge part of how we got through the pandemic in this world, masks, right? But that's not where we're at right now. We have a vaccine. Um, we have several vaccines, correct myself, several vaccines, um, and yet still uh, death toll in the United States has, um, uh, surpassed the death toll of the 1918 influenza pandemic. And that does not make sense to me. Mm. So, so the making sense part, because, um, mm -hmm. you know, my mother was, I have mother wit, you know, and common sense. My mother has that absolutely in, in spades. And I, I think about the lack of common sense with how this whole pandemic has been handled. Okay. So we had a dumpster fire of a president. Um, during the pandemic, which didn't help, you know, who mm -hmm. uh, capitalized politically on mixed messages, you know, saying things while he was getting other things done. He, he was right. taking care of himself, but not caring about the rest of us. So that was problematic. And then fighting with the healthcare professionals. And it just feels like the CDC and the NIH, everybody just gave up. And they're like, F it. All right, do what you want. Whatever happens, happens. We got to meet people on the planet anyway. And, you know, eventually we'll mutate and we'll be able to withstand this noble <laughs> coronavirus. But I, I, I care about people too much to have that happen. But if we could turn back and we didn't have a dumpster fire as a president, once we realized it was airborne, 
and the the national the international message was everyone wear a mask you won't have to do it for long because covid's shelf life is x amount of weeks you know if we all wore masks and social distance for two months maybe maybe a month covid would have no host and then it would go away would that have been smart advice yeah it would have been it would i don't know what exactly time period how long it would have taken but it would certainly have been uh, shorter than what we are dealing with right now if we had all everybody um, buckled down and um, really uh, take a a public health approach, a community-based approach rather than an individualistic approach. Part of it has, uh, for the reason why masks have become uh, this political statement uh, is because of how they've been tied to individual freedoms that in a way that just, is is not conducive to the health and the wealth of the community as a whole, right? And uh, it, it makes it so that uh, people um, were more interested in um, their individual um, selves than protecting the people that were around them. But we could have been through it. We could have we could have already been on the other side. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for us. Oh, so I was going to ask you. So where are we now, <laughs> Dr. Marcella? Where where are we now? And then we got fifty eleven mutations. All of them operating at the same time. We got different countries doing different things. We got different states within our union. Different cities doing different things from the neighbor. Like where are we right now? Are we at the end of it? Are we in the middle still? Yeah, it, it, I think anybody that um, tries to predict uh, what really is going to happen or when really it's going to end at this stage um, maybe has a crystal ball, um, but I do not. Uh, and the thing is, what, what I can say, um, what I can say with certainty is based on the knowledge that we have of viruses in general, mutations are expected in viruses. Uh, And uh, this is not just coronavirus, this is all viruses, mutations are expected. And so um, we are, where we are at is a situation where we still have a virus that is actively propagating throughout the United States, throughout the world. Um, We are seeing a a vast number of states across the globe, uh, a country, sorry, across the globe who uh, have not had a majority of their their, um, people vaccinated and are therefore at risk of contracting whatever variation of COVID comes their way. And we have a um, a world that, um, or at least, you know, a country that has kind of decided that it's time to move on and um, just kind of do its own thing. And so all of those together makes the equation of ongoing transmission of the virus. Um, and that's despite vaccines. And it's, it's really saddening. I think we underestimate the, you know, we've got all this fake news and all these stories and the politicizing, but that same group of kind of um, out there thinkers 
I think that they really do believe that it's targeting the unwanted people and that once it gets rid of the unwanted people, then the world will be left for us. And even if the unwanted people look like them, that's fine because we are the best and we're going to survive. And the rest of y'all, if y'all don't make it, it wasn't for you to make it. We are the best. We're going to be the ones that survive no matter what. Well, we all know that viruses can't do that. They, yeah, you know, they, and so people can think however they want to think, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to do what it's going to do. And that's affect people all across from all walks of life and all socioeconomic status and all race, ethnicity, nationality, whatever, because viruses have no brains. You're talking facts, but think of all those groups where the, the, the end was supposed to come and there was a specific date. And when it didn't come, that was a new reason why they had, they had saved the end from coming. And so they're doubling down. So, you know, when you get into this fanaticism, it's like, oh, our leader died from it. Well, clearly he was not worthy. And so a new leader is gonna come out. Like they can come up with new reasons for the crazy forever. Because it's crazy. There's no facts or science involved in it. And crazy. So, but let us deal with the facts and science because we have a, a a host of people who listen who are not crazy, and that's what I love about this audience. And I want to keep us safe, and I want to keep us alive. So, uh, Dr. Marcellin, your your advice moving forward for wherever we are. How do we protect ourselves and get in and, and st- get back to this community-based uh, health outlook or perspective that we should have? So um, I think one of the first things that I will say is, you know, uh, it's, it's really easy to, it, it can feel easy um, to label folks who are um, seemingly like not doing the right thing as as crazy right and but i want to take a step back and like um, make sure that we acknowledge that being selfish and um you know thinking about yourself only like that is not a mental illness right like mental illness is something that is really important for us to recognize um uh the health diseases that people have and it's it's not i don't think we should label folks um, that are making decisions that put others in harm um, as as crazy, crazy right because you know because, uh, and I and I, I know it's an expression because I, I know that that's not the intent right, no of the no word, definitely right? not but you know but as you're talking you would think that it is a mental illness to do something that harms other people and yourself that would seem to be somebody that is out of their right mind that um that may be the case for the the psychiatrists to to diagnose, right? But um, it, you know, there's the the behaviors to to not um, take into consideration other people's uh, lives and and um, it's the people around you uh, definitely um, is 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 want for concern. Um, but you know. Just, I just okay, want to make, I'm not a mental health professional, but right. I want to make sure that we like underscore that. But to answer your question, like, where do we go 
where do we go from here? I think it's important for us to, at least my approach as an infectious disease doctor, when I talk to folks who still have questions or they're or resistant um, to some of these things that we're, we're talking about, um, I try to find out who, who's important to you in your life. Who, who are the people, most of us walk through life, even if we're, um, we consider ourselves to be loners. Most of us will walk through life with, you know, there's somebody that you care about. And I try to get a sense of who is that person that you care about and what is that potential impact of COVID-19 on them? And uh, so that's one, that's one approach. Um, another is we, we've spent a lot of time in, in discussion about COVID, talking about infections or cases and just you know for the record I prefer to talk about them in terms of the number of people who are infected by COVID because cases I think disembodies it from the humanity of what we're experiencing and so I, I you won't find me talking about how many cases we've been experiencing and so the people who who have been diagnosed with COVID and then we talk about the people who've been hospitalized and the people who've died from COVID and those are three very important groups of people that we need to talk about one group that is often left out is the, the folks who have um, experienced COVID, have recovered from COVID and have long-term um, uh, complications from COVID. Like this is not, when, when folks are, are going around saying this is just a cold, people who are experiencing um, increased rates of blood clots and heart attacks and lung problems um, and you know, kidney issues after being diagnosed and recovering from COVID-19, these people matter too. And we have to recognize that uh, saying that it's okay for folks to just go on and get infected means mm. that we are putting people at risk of these long-term consequences. And we're also neglecting the huge swaths of people across the country, across the world, who have chronic diseases, who are disabled, who are immunocompromised, who's, um, the, who the impact of COVID-19 on their bodies will be far different than somebody who is um, young and otherwise healthy, right? And even the young and otherwise healthy people are going on to have long-term downstream effects from COVID-19. And I think it's important for us to continue to keep that in the forefront and contextualize what actually COVID means in the long run, not just, okay, you get, you get an infection today and maybe, you know, after five days, you might feel okay. And maybe after 10 days, it's okay for you to be out in public without a mask and like putting it in the terms of those um, individual effects and impacts that they're having on people I think can be really powerful. Hmm. 866-801-8255 is the number. We have uh, Dr. Jasmine Marcellin, um, infectious disease. Why, why did you choose that discipline? Infectious disease is something that has always been uh, on my mind. I grew up in the Caribbean um, where, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of exposure to various types of, of infections um, uh, of the tropical variety. And um, as I was going along in my journey, the, the folks that I 
felt that I really connected to were the people who had infections. Uh, infectious disease doctors um, tend to uh, be very interested in people's stories and their lives. Mm -hmm. We are, we're very nosy. Um, we want to know where you've been, what you've been doing, who you've been with, how long have you been doing those things, where have you traveled, what do you work for, or how do you work, do you have pets, what kind of pets, and those are those were always very interesting conversations for me to have to get to know people, even when it's busy and you're trying to figure out what they have, the getting to know them, the realizing that they are people beyond their infection, uh, that really appealed to me. Mm. And what have you learned? Like, you know, navigating these spaces, I know you're a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Um, and we've had many, many doctors on talking about the racial disparity in medicine and how mm -hmm. difficult it is uh, for a lot of doctors with melanin to navigate these very racially homogenous and indoctrinated spaces, right? Yeah. What challenges did you have to endure in coming from Dominica? Dominica? Dominica. Dominica, I'm sorry. Dominica yeah. and growing up in Antigua. Was it easier because these are spaces where black excellence is everywhere, where you grow with it and expect it? Yeah. So um, when growing up that time uh, that I spent in Antigua and in Dominica, really everybody around me looked like me. You know, the prime minister of um, Dominica at the time I was growing up was a woman named Mary Eugenia Charles. And um, she was a force. They called her the Iron Lady of the Caribbean. Right. <laughs> And um, my, my doc, my, my um, family doc, who was the one who encouraged me to, to become a doctor when I was eight, um, she looked like me, Dr. Carissa Etienne, and she is now the director of the Pan American Health Organization, which is, you know, like the WHO of the, of the Americas. And she, um, so seeing people like her, like, like Dame Mary Jr. Charles, this, this was all that I knew growing up. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I had I had all the historical context, um, you know, social studies and, and, and history in the Caribbean, we learn, we learn a lot of stuff, um, a lot more. Let's just put it this way, when I came to the United States, and I learned like what you know, is taught in social history and, and, and um, social studies and history, I realized that there was a lot more context that I came knowing, um, which was good. I was very grateful for. But when I came to North America, um, I had my own opportunities to experience that context personally. And I realized the, the tremendous um, benefit and privilege it was for me to grow up in a place where nobody ever told me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do and I, or that I wouldn't, ex, um, I wouldn't succeed just because of where I came from. I so that's that. something that is really important to me to provide, um, to be that to be that person, to be on that stage, to, to be in front of those um, young folks who are thinking about going into healthcare and into medicine and, and, and people are questioning them for me to be able to say, no, you don't need to, you don't need to listen to folks questioning you because you can do it. Mm -hmm. I have one question, and this is a question from your insight as someone who listens. Um, you know, I travel around the world with midwives and, you know, natural midwifery is, is, it's dying because 
people see things on TV and they think if you tell them to birth at home, you're depriving them of an epidural or that stuff. So from your, your insight, from listening to stories of people, what does your soul tell you about Mm. where COVID is going? Mm. That's a, that's a good question. Um, So from listening to a lot of folks, um, talking to a lot of people, I, what I hear is that people are tired. Um, People are tired of all of the things. They're tired of talking about COVID and they're tired of the masks and, um, and they want to move on. And I, my fear about where it's going is that COVID will never truly go away, but for places with privilege and resources, um, it will be controlled to a point where people can go about their lives and you know think about it as something that happened in the past, whereas in places that are not privileged and have less resources, um, they will continue to deal with it on their own. And we've seen this with a lot of neglected diseases um, across the globe. We've seen this with HIV. We've seen this with tuberculosis. And um, the burden of these diseases is now is no longer the vast burden of these diseases is no longer in in North America and um, in the wealthy Western countries. And so Mm, seems almost forgotten. But Mm -hmm. HIV... It's not that it's not there. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm an HIV specialist. But the... the, uh, the, the, the appearance of that burden to high-resourced, high-privileged um, areas is in the back of the mind. Right. Like tuberculosis kills 300 people a day. Nobody yeah. talks about it in the U.S. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's airborne, but I think COVID is more contagious. In HIV, you actually have to exchange fluid, right? I mean, there's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, it's not airborne. So, you know, yeah. for a person, you know, average person's like, I, I have to do something to get HIV. You know, I have to exchange fluids with somebody. Uh, tuberculosis. Yeah. But this, especially Omicron, so contagious. You can be riding in an elevator with somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, like, a different level. Like, I've never had a flu shot because I'm like, I'm not catching the flu. I wash my hands. I'm staying away from people. But this is something that, like, I can't wrap my brain around. Like, I know how to navigate the flu and even a common cold. But it feels like COVID is different. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's just how I feel. But is it different? So um, COVID is different in its own way. And so just to be clear, I wasn't I wasn't comparing the diseases themselves. COVID, how we react and, to them. I got it. But, but the, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the this virus is 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 very contagious, um, but we've we've also found ourselves in the midst of um, 
a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and frankly, um, confusing communication, confusing science communication, uh, as this has all unraveled over the last two years. And I think that there is a lot of work that still needs to be done in, in terms of um, sensitive, transparent, um, and um, useful communication about COVID-19. But um, there is a lot of damage that has already been done with you know, these other um, campaigns that we've talked about, misinformation and disinformation campaigns. So the, the place that we go is, is, is not giving up hope. Those of us who um, do have the information, those of us who um, do want to continue moving to a place where uh, we can confidently say that COVID is, is something that is controlled, uh, we've got to keep pressing forward. We can't lose hope uh, that um, no one's going to listen because there are people out there. I firmly believe that there are still people out there who may have genuine questions and just need the right person to listen to their questions and answer them in order for them to make the right decisions. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Um Oh, I have a lot of questions. There's uh, scientists that uh, have said that they've possibly cured a woman for the first time of HIV. I want to talk about that in a second. I don't know if you've seen this or there's a lot of, you know, talk about it because people are living longer. But cure, cure, we'll talk about that. But let me go to the phones. Uh, Woody in North Carolina has a question for Dr. Marcellin. Hey, Woody. Hey, hey, Karen. Hey, hey, Karen, how you doing? Good. How's everything? Hi, and hello, doctor. It's, it's, hello. Uh, look, I have to give you a, a quick disclaimer. I am not trolling. I am seeking information, and I think a lot of confusion is in the complexity of these strands and everything because in my mind, uh, and I heard you say, doctor, that, that people uh, are, are being selfish and I'm not an anti-vaxxer or anti-this. The only thing I'm anti-against is the antichrist. So I'm not here to troll or do all that. I just want some valuable information, and you'll seem to have it. So here's my question. When someone gets the uh, vaccination or shot or whatever you want to call it, and are they still, can they still receive or, or catch the virus? Yes. So when somebody receives a vaccine, um, they can still uh, get infected with COVID-19. And that is because the when we think about the way that vaccines work and what the goal is, the goal is to help to prevent that individual from developing severe disease that requires them to be hospitalized and or could potentially kill them. And that's actually the way that a lot of our vaccines work is that it um, does not necessarily say, okay, once you're vaccinated, that means you'll never get this ever again. What it means is if you do get it, what you will experience is likely to be so mild that you may not even know that you had it. Or um, if you did get it, 
you would not um, need to be hospitalized or die from it, and your likelihood of transmitting it to other people is less. And all of those, all of those goals are important in reducing transmission or spread of that disease in a community. And that is how so many of our vaccines already work. Woody, are you satisfied? I have a part two and then I'll be satisfied. Okay. So okay. Someone, someone who does not get the vaccine, and remember, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, so I'm putting that out there. So if someone does not get the vaccine and someone does, why is it such pressure put on somebody or they, they're not uh, being, they're being selfish if that person can still catch the virus with the shot and the person that does not, they, they take it upon themselves to get real sick. Now, of course, they can transmit it. But what about those people that don't get the shot, don't get sick, and they had COVID? They didn't even have a long range, as you said, other issues. What about them? Because you didn't mention those people. You mentioned every class, but you didn't mention those who got it. They got over it after two or three days, and that was it. So, mm-hmm. Okay, good. Okay, good question. So, so Woody, I think, I think the first thing um, that I wanted to, to clarify about, um, you know, when I, when I was talking about selfishness earlier, I, you know, I really was talking about the people who, uh, there are folks who have said um, that they don't care about other people around them, right, that they only care about themselves. And um, that's where I was going with that. Um, And so people have different reasons for not getting vaccinated and it's not all reasons are selfish reasons, okay? So just wanted to make sure that I said that out there. But what happens to those people who do get um, COVID and then they recover from it? That is, that's great that they recover and they can, you know, continue to live their lives. What we do know is that the recovery from COVID-19, you will, your body does produce um, antibodies uh, whenever you get any kind of infection. And so if you get COVID-19 and you develop, your body develops antibodies, uh, the, how long those antibodies last and how reliable they will be to protect you from future infections that's where the kicker is. And so the, vi- the, the vaccine uh, provides a more reliable uh, antibody protection, as well as a, a known duration of how long it will re- um, last and um, protection against future infections um, to a degree, right? Whereas if you were not vaccinated and you developed COVID and your body produces its own antibodies, these antibodies um, may may not be um, the umbrella type of antibodies to protect you from various strains Mm. of the virus. They may not last long enough to even get you to um, the next uh, time that you're exposed. I have more questions, but we have to go, uh, unfortunately, and we have to have you back on to talk about HIV because I want to also talk about people building up their immune system because there's not a lot enough talk about people just being healthy to fight if that's enough. But we're going to have you back on, Dr. Jasmine Marcellin. You are amazing. All right. uh, you can follow her at D-R-J-R, Marcellin, M-A-R, C as in cat, E-L-I-N, on the Twitters at U-N. 
MC. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.